Good evening, everyone. We're broadcasting live sometime in April. Today's quote is an important quote, though it doesn't say a lot. Buddha said, Yancha bhikkave rating tathagato anuttarang samma sambuddhing abhisambhuchati. If you take the night when the Tathagata became enlightened to unexcelled self-enlightenment, yancha, and the rating anupadi sesaya nibbana dhatuya parinibhayati, and the night of his becoming fully unbound through the element of unbinding that is without remainder. So the night when he passed away. So the Bodhisattva, after making a determination at the of the Buddha Dipankara, so many countless number of eons and world periods ago. He made this determination and then entered on the path to become a Buddha. And he spent four asankaya, four uncountable periods of time. Not just one uncountable period of time, but four of them. There are periods of time that have some meaning, but really can't measure them. They're just too long. And then a hundred thousand Mahakapa, Mahakalpa, the great eons on top of that. So this is being born and die again and again. And so we have all these stories, only a very small number of stories, but we have a number of useful stories about uh, the time that the Buddha spent from birth to birth, perfecting his the qualities of mind needed to become Buddha. And then he was born in his last life as Siddhartha Gautama. And at the age of 29, he left home having seen that in life there is there are certain inevitabilities. We have to get old, we have to get sick, we have to die. And no matter what we do, no matter how we succeed in life, no matter whether we're good or bad, right or wrong, rich or poor, famous or infamous, in the end, these things come to us all and they wash away everything we've done. And so he left home to try and find a way out of this mess. 
And for six years, he tortured himself and tried all different meditations and ways of practicing. But he found that none of them led to freedom. They only led him to places he'd been before, from birth to birth. Until finally, he, he uh, cleared his mind enough to be able to understand that he had to find a middle way had to find a, an ordinary way, a natural way, where he was accepting of pain, but also accepting of pleasure. And where he was able to see things objectively. And he looked at things for what they are, not with any goal or, or ulterior motive, not with any reaction. And so he began to see, his mind began to clear, and he saw his past lives, and he saw the arising and ceasing of beings being born here and born there. Finally, he was able to make sense of everything, and he saw how our birth and our life and our death is just part of a much greater... Uh, system of a cycle of rebirth. And then he began to look at what causes the cycle of rebirth and he saw his own mind giving rise to attachment, giving rise to desire, giving rise to further rebirth. And as he saw the truth, he came to let it go. And when he let it go, he was freed for himself. He became Buddha. So that's the night of his enlightenment. Now, a lot of stories of the Buddha stop there. And they're only interested in that time, that day. But that's the day, the first day he's talking about. That's an important day. But it's funny how a lot of stories of the Buddha stop there and say, well, that was most important, end of story. It's actually not, and that, that part of the story is actually the less, um, the less important part. If that was it, then you'd think, well, okay, so he became Buddha. Big deal, right? The other day, is 45 years later, he lay down between the two sala trees. Sala trees are a flowering tree in northern India, actually all throughout India, they're even in Sri Lanka. There's even one in, there's even at least one that I know of in Thailand, but it's in a colder area. And uh, he lay down and entered into Final Nibbana, the body passed away. And with the passing of the body, there was no more arising of mental constructs. I mean, no more rebirth. Which is also a very important day. It's, um, and those two together uh, really describe what it is that we're I mean, not even aiming for, but it's the ultimate, you know. Because Buddhism is all about letting go. It's about freeing yourself from suffering. 
And it sometimes scares people, I think, when they think of, of the Buddha's enlightenment, the Buddha's final freedom. They think, wow, you know, like never coming back, right? So it's not really our goal because most people aren't interested in that. It's hard for us to think of. Of course, we don't want that. We want to be born again for the most part. Even though we may say, oh man, I don't want to be born again, I have to go through this. But still we have desire and so still we'll be reborn again. Until we attain freedom from all that, then, then we're not born again. But the point is, that's the end. That's the final, final letting go, the final freedom. Until that point, you're still not free, that's the point. And so it's not that we have to wish for it, but that's where you're going eventually. You let go of more, and so you, wherever you're born, you're born in a good way. You let go of even more, and you, you're born in an even better way. Until you let go of everything, you're born without it. You know, you're, then you're not born. There's no suffering, no having to come back. So those two are two important days, but this quote is important because it talks about something entirely different. It talks about those two as the boundary. And it places emphasis on what happened in between those two. Which, as I say, it's a shame that most uh, stories about the Buddha miss entirely. Part of the reason why they do, of course, is because that part of the Buddha's life has unfortunately been minimized. The Buddha spent 45 years teaching. 45 years. The Thai version of what's now come to you know, be claimed to be his teachings takes up 45 volumes so they joke it's like he made a volume a year but it's huge spent 45 years and there's so much that we have of his teachings and then you have the lotus sutra which i've been talking about quite a bit recently trivializing it and so you have a lot of later Buddhism trivializing that. Saying what he taught there, that was just um, uh, conditional, I can't remember the word, there's, there's a word for it. It was just um, it was a part of the path. He wasn't teaching, in fact it says he wasn't teaching the truth basically. He was teaching an expedient means, something that was not really true, but if you practice, if you follow it, it will help you see clear enough to, to see the whole truth. Anyway, there's generally a marginalization, but For our purposes, those 45 years are most important. And the question is, do we have what the Buddha taught during those times? Do we still have it? Do we, do we know what the Buddha actually taught? The Buddha said, Yang etasming antare bhasati lapati nidisati Those, um, what whatever etasming between these two antare, these two boundaries basati said said 
lapati is spoken, nidisati is pointed out, sabang tang tathevahoti no anyata. All of that is thus, just thus. Tathevahoti. It is just as thus, no, just in that way, no anyata, not in another way, not otherwise. So whatever he says, it's, it's, it's true, it's thus. Tasma tathagato tivujjati, thus he is called the tathagata, tatha means thus, gata means gone. Yathavadi bhikkave tathagato tathakari That's something else, but he says uh, As he speaks, so he does Yathakari tathavadi As he does, so he speaks Tasma tathagato tivuchati Thus he is called the tathagata But the question, of, uh, sorry, relates to the, the, the quote all of what he taught was, was truth for 45 years. So the question is, what do we have? Do we have that truth? Some people say, mm, it's been changed, it's been altered, it's been recreated by sectarians, everybody arguing that they have the truth. So it's hard to be sure do you have the truth. I mean, it's a bold claim here. It's a great thing that the Buddha great that the Buddha actually taught the truth question is do we have the truth now where do we find the truth and the curious thing that I find which gives great faith in what we claim to be the Buddha's teaching for the most part anyway is that if you take a practice like the one we practice which I have perfect faith in it. Well, I, I mean, it, it, there's no question that it, uh, it is objective. You can argue what you want. You can say this practice is dumb or wrong or misguided. But you can't say that it's partial or biased. Not exactly. Unless you want to say it's biased in a pedantic sort of way or it's... Uh, overly technical or so on but it's systematic and it's subjective when you sit and say pain pain there's no bias there you're seeing pain as pain you're reminding yourself that's pain when you say rising falling there's no bias you rise so what i'm trying to say is this is an objective practice the practice of objectivity you can dislike it, you can say, eh, it's not for me, it's not going to lead me anywhere. But you can't argue that it's not objective. And the interesting thing is, is if you practice this way, without any instruction in the greater context of the Buddhist teaching, if you practice diligently for some time, you can go and read all the Buddhist teaching and you can find for yourself the truth. I, I would argue. I mean, what I mean to say is you, you react differently to different kinds of teaching. 
if you focus on, on objectivity, you know, if you focus on a practice that is objective, not a practice that focuses on some god or some angel or some con like love or compassion, no, if you focus on truth, this is pain. You know, if you say to yourself, pain, pain, you see, you can argue what you want, but you're seeing pain as pain. You're telling yourself pain is pain. Is that biased? No. Is that arbitrary? No. So then when you go and look at any kind of teachings, you don't need someone to tell you that that's the truth. You can look at it, you can say, hmm, that, that, that is true. You can tell the difference between a teaching that is just saying good, saying nice things, and then saying things that are just sophism or, or intellectualism, you know, versus teachings that actually teach something important. You can tell the difference. So the interesting thing is you react to uh, to teachings. Like if you read the Tipitaka, for example, without having practiced this kind of meditation, I think you have a hard time with it. I think it's it's hard to find it even interesting, let alone comprehend, comprehend comprehendable, understandable. But meditation is is that powerful. It's it's it's. This shows the importance, the power, and the, the purity of meditation. The depth, the profundity of it. That it it allows you to see. allows you to see in your life problems that you had and allows you to see through them, to solve them without doubt. And teachings, views, it allows you to see right view from wrong view without, without bias, without doubt. You practice in this way and, and that really goes for all sorts of kinds of practice. If you practice in that way, you'll see in that way, right? So that's why it's important that our practice be objective, our practice be based on objectivity, because if you practice in a, in a different religious tradition, well, you'll look at the world in a different way, and you'll gravitate towards different texts. If you practice Christianity, you'll gravitate towards the Bible. You'll say, oh, yes, the Bible is the truth, because it resonates with you. But it resonates, we would argue, because you become partial and biased, and you've taken up views and beliefs. So this is my test for a text is see through the use see, see through the lens of objectivity where you don't take any belief you 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 see things as they are see pain as pain see thoughts as thoughts see anger as anger see greed as greed see delusion as delusion anyway then you can see the truth. Then you can find the Buddhist teaching. That relates to the other quotes that we've had, you know. Yo dhammang pasati so mang pasati. Who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha, sees the Tathagata. If you don't see the Dhamma, you can't see the Buddha. 
you can, can't find the Buddha's teaching. Even you have the whole of the Tipitaka, you'll never find the teaching there, not unless you see the Dhamma, not unless you're practicing the Dhamma. You can read all, you can memorize the 45 volumes and you still won't come close to the truth. But as soon as you practice, it's like it opens the, it's like it's a cipher that deciphers the, the code. Suddenly you understand. Otherwise people I think find it, would find it boring. Maybe interesting intellectually, but incomprehensible. Anyway, that's our quote for tonight. Anybody have any questions? We're doing text questions again, so welcome to ask. You guys can go. Two meditators here, we can say hi to our meditators. Both are staying here tonight. No questions? All right. And good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.